Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Daniel Coleman, and welcome to another episode of Drinks with Dan. First, I want to thank you all so much for tuning in and listening to my first episode, and I'm glad to see that it was a success for someone who has literally no idea what I'm doing. Um, For this episode, I'm drinking a Pennsylvania beer. This one's by the Victory Brewing Company. This one's called Sour Monkey. As the name implies, it's a sour beer. It's an ale. Uh, It has an ABV of 9.5%, and it's a perfect sipping beer here for this special episode. Um, I picked a Pennsylvania beer as I introduced my first guest ever. He currently resides in Pennsylvania, and although he grew up about 15 houses away from me as a kid, we both now live here in Pennsylvania, um, albeit 150 miles away from each other. This man needs no introduction to me or my family as I have my earliest childhood memories with him, and he was quick to become one of my very first best friends. We met before kindergarten even started on the way to school riding the bus and have been friends ever since that fateful day. We spent many Saturdays growing up and playing Manhunt in the Dark, going on cross-country and technically international uh, music trips together later in life. Although in recent years we've been apart due to our careers, he's never more than a phone call away. He was the very first person to reach out to me within the hour of posting episode one. Please help me welcome Matthew Bakovich. I appreciate it. Um, happy to chat. Happy to reconnect. Um, you know, it's always nice. Every every couple of years, you and I uh, always get together for something. Uh, I remember when we did uh, some uh, college tips and life tips with Miss Toth and uh, Miss Kelleher's uh, business class with our high school. Um, always good to connect with different reunion stuff. And uh, when I read your podcast, you said you were looking for guests. I said, I'd be happy to help. Um, we go back many, many years. So I'm, I'm excited, ready to chat, ready to talk. And uh, hey, you know what? I, uh, I, I'm, I'm pulling the beer out as well. And uh, I'm going with a Pennsylvania Classic, uh, America's oldest beer, Yingling uh, Brewery right here too. So uh, I'm joining in with the fun. Yeah, so we brought up the uh, more famous of the Pennsylvania beers. Um, I actually went into their uh, brewery in Tampa and I went on the tour and they told us about the Eagle and how the Eagle is theirs and how they actually got sued by the other more famous eagle uh the budweiser and they ended up losing big time to them i uh, just didn't know if you knew you know they did um and I'll, I'll throw one more out at you the uh you know the tampa uh brewing plant that you went to uh there's a little bit of controversy from us uh central pennsylvania folk up here because the yingling beer flavor has always gotten its taste from the limestone quarries where they get all the water from in pottsville pa right well the limestone quarries are missing in tampa so if you get someone like my father who's a traditionalist and has been drinking yingling beer his entire life he always makes the comment that you know what it just doesn't taste the same as a pottsville brewed beer and uh you know i gotta believe that limestone water has the effect on it so it's always a little bit of a controversy for us uh folks in central pa to decide whether or not we're going to drink uh the tampa beer or the local stuff um i'm a traditional so i'm happy to stick with the local stuff the uh, funny thing about that uh, just a real quick thing um so the brewery in tampa is literally right next door to this little place that we call bush gardens who used to be owned by anheuser-busch but has since you know pulled out um but yeah it's literally right next door you see the roller coasters as your tour in this place and it's just a little juxtapositioning there I love it. Hey, that oh. was our uh, was a junior year of, uh, high school band trip. We went to a Virginia Beach. Um, I believe uh, it was your junior or sophomore. Year. I can never remember. Uh, uh, that would have been. I think that was sophomore because junior freshman we went to Quebec. Yep. And then sophomore, I think we went to Virginia. Yep. And then was it junior was Maryland and New York? And Virgin- we did, we did yep. Virginia. No, no, we did the we did the up the coast thing, and right. then senior year we went to Disney. Yep. 
So. Good times. Good times. <laughs> and you were my roommate all four of those times. I know. You, myself, and Mike Prairie. We, uh, we always happen to have a fourth, though, that always interchanged each year. So, yeah, it was like Brian Howe, Rich Amy, um, yep. and then there, I forget who else was in our Der- roommate. Derek Redfield. Derek Ellinger. Or not Ellinger. Um, Derek uh, Redfield. And yep. Shane Babbitt was our senior year came with us as well. Yep. So he must have had a May that last senior night because uh, all three of us were not in that room. Yeah, that was good times, good times. So I'm glad we're talking about this now. So after high school, he graduated. You went to Penn State. Is that correct? Yes. I, uh, I started Penn State 2007. Uh, I started in the professional golf management program. So, so you're a professional golfer then, right? I still am. I have my PGA Class A Pro. I'm actually uh, – my uh, PGA Magazine came uh, that I got on my table today. Um, that I'm sitting here uh, taking a quick look through. And, uh, yeah, I've been a PGA Class A member since 2012 um, and uh, passed on my qualifying test and uh, get to put PGA after my name. And that was part of my curriculum here while I was at Penn State. And uh, it was a really good time. So you did that. But can you can you explain golf management, exactly what that is? Like, are you out there taking care of the field? Are you doing the logistics of it? Um, like, what, what are you doing here? The short answer to that is yes. And it's yes because – Golf management is the business operations of every aspect that goes into the game of golf. So you can, as a PGA professional, work as somebody who manages the clubhouse and the merchandise for a golf course. You can be an individual who runs a tournament. You can be one who teaches lessons. You can be one who works, as I do now, in administration. You can be one who is an instructor at a university level. Uh, You can be a general manager of an entire golf club. You can be a director of golf. So we have 24 different classifications of what is considered a PGA pro. But the big thing that keeps us all underneath the big golf umbrella is that somehow, someway, we're related and connected to golf in our main job. Uh, the one thing we tend not to do is we don't take care of the grass. Uh, those are what's known as turf grass managers, directors of agronomy. Um, they have a separate degree and a separate path that they go through. Hold on, so you can major in growing grass. You can. Uh, Penn State is the, <laughs> I, I kid you not, Penn State has the number one turf grass uh, program here in the nation. Um, and you major in all the agronomy and structure of turf grass. These individuals take care of major league stadiums golf courses, um, you know, anything where there's grass growing. And believe me, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, the Masters coming up will have a vast majority of Penn Staters helping take care of all the grounds and uh, making that Augusta effect happen. So it's, it's pretty cool. Sure. So now that you mentioned that, I don't know if you knew this, but I wanted to bring it up. Um, just down the street from where we grew up in Plainfield, Connecticut, they grow grass that they actually use to bring to the Patriot Stadium to use on their field. Yeah, so, the, There's we, definitely something I, about that. I can't remember if did you go to Driver's Ed at that right right next right next to there. Yep. Yes, I remember that. We were uh, when we were at Driver's Ed. It was that whole entire uh, turf place. There. I was like, why are they growing grass then? And then they would go in there, cut it up, yeah. and roll it up, and ship it up to um, Patriots. So it's it's that location, and then they the. Um, Eagles and most of Pennsylvania get their grass from what's called Tuckahoe Sod Farms in New Jersey is where that stuff comes from. So New England and a lot of the New England fields up in that area get them right down the street from us. And uh, a lot of the Pennsylvania places get their fields from uh, Tuckahoe Sod Farms down in, down in the Jersey area, which is, uh, again, hey, it's a, it's, a, it's a big business, and that, that field has to look good come game time. All right, so you got your degree at Penn State, and now you're currently working where you got your degree. Is that correct? Yes, this is uh, my 12th. I kind of measure in seasons. I'm a sports guy, so I measure them in seasons. This is my 12th year working at Penn State. I did my undergraduate here and uh, all my graduate work here as well, and then was lucky enough to be hired on full-time as in the faculty. Uh, and I have a very unique position. I, uh, I work for the um, Recreation Park and Tourism Management Department um, under Birch Wilkes, our uh, department head, and our department head of the entire major, uh, Dr. Peter Newman. And then I um, oversee... Uh, the management of our research lab under our director of golf, uh, Eric Hanley in, um, 
a building next to our offices. So we uh, essentially think of any of those simulators you might have seen on TV or played on, uh, like at a Top Golf. We have one of those in the basement of uh, one of our buildings in campus for our students to um, get some practice in during the winter months when it gets a little bit cold and for us to work on research projects. And then I teach in the School of Hospitality Management. Uh, I teach human resources and organizational behavior. So I have a, a very uh, unique position. I uh, work with a lot of great people and I answer to a lot of great people, but um, it's it's fun, uh, you know, getting to do something different every day. So you mentioned a lot of great people. I have to ask, have you met Tiger Woods yet? You know, I haven't. I've never met him. Um, I watched him play uh, at a U.S. Open would be the closest. I got to see him live at a U.S. Open. Um, that would be the closest on that one. The uh, I guess the probably the most famous golfer I ever met um, had to be Ben Crenshaw. Uh, when was, I spent two years working at an East Hampton Golf Club in the Hamptons, and uh, Ben was one of the designers. He uh, has a company, Core Crenshaw, and, of course, Ben Crenshaw being one of the designers. And uh, I remember this distinctively. I was uh, eating breakfast. I lived on the, on the first hole. I lived in a house in the first hole uh, that was owned by our club. And uh, I'm eating my breakfast, and there's Ben Crenshaw walking down the fairway. And I'm just looking out the window. I said, wow, okay, I guess this is, uh, this is pretty cool. And uh, I got to chat with him, and it was the first time I really got to see a professional golfer swing and hit shots on a driving range. And it was very eye-opening to see just how different and how much better and how talented uh, professional golfers are in comparison to the rest of the world, you know. Do you mean like the technicality behind that? Not only the technicality, but just uh, the intangibles that can only be measured really through observation. That's kind of the same thing with uh, standing on the sidelines of the Penn State football game. And I've, I've been up close at Patriots games before or watching a major league pitcher throw. You know, I, I work with a lot of amateurs and uh, a lot of uh, semi-professionals and those trying to become professionals in various sports. And it's truly amazing to watch somebody at the peak level and just see the differences in technical aspects and just from, uh, you know, an intangible, like you just know why that person is so much better. And it's hard to explain, but from a visual representation, it was really cool. And, and that's what I enjoyed. That is really cool. So I read an article the other day that you and a group of students went out to the San Francisco 49er Stadium. Is that correct? I did. I uh, So one of my roles here on campus is I do what's called experiential learning, which is taking students out of the classroom into settings that will either help educate them or help them think about what kind of careers they want in the future. So I went out to Levi Stadium uh, out in San Francisco with 10 students from uh, the Semilla College of Business and our RPTM department, and we learned about how to create zero waste mega events um, from a sustainable practice. So, uh, you know, it's funny, the game aspect, uh, during the game, we helped uh, fans, you know, recycle properly, and we got to hand out t-shirts. Anytime a fan was recycling properly, we were giving them t-shirts and stuff. So that was a pretty cool um, training thing exercise. But the game is really about 1% of what goes on. Uh, we helped with repurposing things like, for example, all the carpeting at the San Jose Convention Center was donated to the Salvation Army. Um, the staging, that college game day stages were used for ESPN, was all donated to Habitat for Humanity. Uh, all the graphics were repurposed for next year for logos. Um, all the pens, pencils and papers that the media tents didn't use were all donated to local schools. So it's about finding ways to reuse and repurpose things and making sure that stuff's not going to waste. We we try to operate under a 40% composted type scenario, uh, 30% of stuff going into recycled, 20%, you know, going into some sort of level of landfill, um, and then, you know, other things being biodegradable. So those percentages change, um, but we're looking to do a zero-waste event. And what's considered a zero-waste event is less than 10% of our product goes and ends up in the landfill. And if we can get to that level, um, we're in pretty good shape. So 
So the ten percent that you talk about, I'm assuming that's like food items and things like that that you absolutely just cannot recycle, correct? Absolutely. Um, the the biggest uh, culprit is it's funny. It's potato chip bags and candy wrappers. We just they cannot make a biodegradable, or they I should say they haven't yet made a biodegradable chip bag or candy wrapper. If if stadiums could just do that. It would save um, a ton of, uh, you know, time and effort in terms of the landfill area. And, you know, people ask me, they say, well, Matt, are you, you know, where do you come from? Is this, are you an environmental person? I said, you know, it's funny. I've never thought of myself as that. I've always, you know, it's always good to help save and conserve the planet. I've never been against that. I've always been for that. But what's interesting and what really got my interest level in this was about figuring out ways to essentially save on costs and get things in the hands of those that can't afford things. So like Habitat for Humanity, lumber, pens and pencils for underprivileged schools. Um, you know, the tonnage, if, if things are sorted correctly and sorted properly, that means that it costs less than the city to essentially get your garbage taken out, which then means you can hire more staff members on your facilities. Uh, Levi Stadium is one of the cleanest facilities because they can hire more staff and they can save money and they can put that money in the right direction. And that helps create jobs and that helps with the economy. So, you know, I kind of look at it from a perspective of it's great to help the environment. It's great to educate people, but you can really boil this down to an education aspect, a cost aspect, a community aspect. It's a lot more than just, you know, saving the planet because this doesn't go into a landfill. And that's what I've really enjoyed about the process. So it's very multifaceted where there's different avenues that you can go down with this. Um, you know, I could have major, uh, minored in uh, sustainability in my undergrad, and I thought about it. And I'm like, man, like I, I'm, I care about the environment, but I'm not going to go out of my way to know too much about it. I'll recycle, but after that, I'm done. And, Dan, you know what? I'll be honest. I was the same way. I didn't, I didn't understand the importance of it and how it was all connected. And this experience and leading the student team, um, we're now developing a class around this whole experience. And really the education side I thought was the best. And what was nice about this was these mega events, the reason people want to do sustainability at these mega events is it reaches a lot of people. There were 46,000 people at Levi Stadium. So if you're sending a message of sustainability to 46,000 people, it's a heck of a lot better than talking to a person one-on-one. Sure, you might be able to affect that person, but I can guarantee you that maybe, you know, 2,000 people in my one section now became a little bit more aware of some some sustainable practices that they can take with them the rest of their lives. You know, I like to say, you know, you could have an interaction with a person on a one-on-one level that will then affect their recycling practices for the rest of their lives. And it was something as simple as handing them a T-shirt for putting the Gatorade bottle in the blue bin. I was just thinking about that. That's ingenious because, like, you go you go to a sporting event and you're out drinking beer or whatever. You go recycle it and you put it in the bottle. You get a T-shirt. You go back to the stadium seats and the guy next to you says, hey, I want that T-shirt. Where'd you get it? And all you say is, oh, all I had to do is go uh, recycle your bottle. Like, that's ingenious. Exactly. And that's what and that was what was nice about it was that it was this whole big messaging platform that was created. Um, I had a lot of fun. My students had a lot of fun. You know, they got some great experience. They work with Jack and Sue Grow are fantastic. If anybody ever has the chance to watch on YouTube, the NFL Super Kids videos that are produced, um, they take people in high income areas and have them donate, especially kids, donate all their youth sports equipment, school supplies and games. And they take kids in low income areas and they bring them there to pick up all these things. So it's repurposing stuff that we all have junk in our closets we never use. That can be given to somebody else. The kids all get to play with this year, the Atlanta Falcons, interact with that. Um, that is an awesome event. You know, they, they were describing teachers who one person donated 150 iPads and these kids got to, you know, use these in the classroom. So those are things that you don't really think about, but these are something that those two people work with. And it was great to work with them. I had a blast. Um, and looking forward to going to the NFL draft this year in April with uh, 18 of my students. We're partnering with the University of Louisville and we're doing the same project down there. I just went to Nashville this uh, previous year and two recommendations. First one is you got to have a hot chicken sandwich from, uh, from there, and you got to go to this dueling piano bar. I'll have to look it up for you. 
I, um, you know, I, I like chicken. I like music. That'll work for me. Was that your first time out in San Francisco area? It was, yes. Um, it, did you do anything else while you were out there? You know what? I the, the only other thing um, I did was essentially just look at where Alcatraz was from uh, the airport location, and we were driving back and saw the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, unfortunately, we were oh, just man. so crammed with timing. So I'd love to get back out there and sightsee again. But it was uh, anytime I do say this, you know, I love my job. I love to go to all these trips and stuff like that. But first and foremost, you know, I was in Florida last week with my students for the PJ show. They're all business trips, and you know, I, I'm very blessed to get to go on these locations and go to these trips and stuff like that. But I always keep in mind that you know I'm there to work and. And, uh, you know, vacation is vacation, work is work, and uh, I- I'd love to go back on my own time and do some of that kind of stuff. In the yeah, there's, um, there's so much to do out in San Francisco. So I was there for medic school about an hour north in Petaluma, and we would go down to San Francisco on the weekends, and we went to Alcatraz, and then we did the Golden Gate Bridge. And uh, the reason I was asking, because right, right after the Golden Gate Bridge, heading north back towards Petaluma, Santa Rosa area, uh, there's this place called Mere Woods, and it is just dropped it gorgeous with the biggest uh redwoods you've ever seen it was just amazing i highly recommend it if you've never been so uh make sure you add that to your list after you uh finish nashville (laughs) (laughs) sounds good to me so we've been talking about golf for a little bit i want to talk about baseball so you do baseball analytics so are you that guy that tells me that on the bottom of the fourth when it's a blood moon and it's the seven o'clock at night that you're gonna hit a home run Is, is that you that does that uh, I, you know, I could. Uh, so yes, in, in, in the short, in the short, yes, it is me. Um, what I do is, so in my golf lab, we have what's called uh, a TrackMan uh, setup. So in the golf lab I work in, um, we have what's called TrackMan, and TrackMan's a Doppler radar system that tracks the flight of the golf ball and uh, uses some algorithms to calculate where that golf ball would have gone given uh, how hard you hit it with the club. So does that take into consideration like wind and other factors? It does. It can. It can take into account when it's outside. It can uh, actually track the actual distance where the ball goes. You can uh, change parameters, the uh, type of golf ball you're hitting. You can add in wind. You can factor in um, some different things here and there with any of these ball flight monitor systems. So it's a really cool program. Um, that is the same program that's run for baseball. So about three years ago, the baseball organization here, the State College Spikes, uh, brought this system in and they needed somebody to run it. And my golf background made me the perfect candidate for it. And I, I love analytics. So I got into that. So my job is essentially to get as much information about what goes on on the field during the game and then report that information to the coaches. So if I wanted to, I could tell you how many at-bats a person has at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and what he's most likely to hit. I could totally run those numbers. But for me, what my main role is is to gather as much information as possible while the game's going on, and then the coaches will then ask questions about that. So what did you think about this? What did you see here? What's going on here? And then my job is to generate reports that answer some of those questions or just provide the coaches with as much information as possible. A lot of people get a big misconception with analytics and think that someone like me is taking over the role of a manager and I'm going to set the lineup and I'm going to tell you who to hit. I'm going to tell you who to pinch hit for. I'm going to tell you what person to bring in. And in some cases, you know, there are clubs and organizations that will do those kind of things. They'll say, you know, the numbers say this, the numbers say that. Um, that's, you know, that's fine. That's great. And that's how they operate. Um, on a, my personal philosophy on analytics when it comes provide the coach as much information as possible to make a decision. So I'm there. I'm not there to take a pitching coach's job. I'm not there to take a hitting coach's job or there to tell a manager how to do his job. I'm there to say, hey, uh, you know, Tony or Mike or Jim, whoever our managers have been in the past, 
Um, here's what this looks like in this situation. Here's the probability or here's what this person's doing. Here's more information for you to make a good coaching decision. Because in baseball, you can kind of look at it from point A to point B. And you're trying to make a decision as quick as possible before you get to point B where it's an obvious decision. And the more information you have at point A, you know, makes that decision a lot easier. And that's, that's just what my role is. And I love it. I love going to the games. Um, I get a little bit of heat, though, because I'm a huge sports fan. So sometimes in the press box, I'll cheer and I'll be clapping while we you know, <laughs> yeah, run. <laughs> and all the writers look at me like, oh, shut this kid up. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm a fan. I'm, I'm always a fan. It, you know, I think that's what makes me a good coach, a good person involved in sports is I'm a big fan, even though, you know, I, I'm supposed to stay quiet and unopinionated. Uh, I love when any kid in golf and baseball and football, basketball, any coaching aspect or teaching aspect I'm in has success. You know, I'm clapping just as loud as they are right there with them. So that brings me to my next topic I wanted to bring up. So NFL season's over. However, that doesn't mean that football football is over because we have this thing now called the AAF. Football's over, believe you me. Go ahead. <laughs> so let me get this straight. There's eight teams there's no kickoffs, there's a 35-second clock instead of a 40-second clock, and they're trying to get the game down to two hours and 30 minutes versus approximately three hours for the NFL. It seems like they're more of a safety-conscious um, kind of aspect on it. Uh, what's your take? So, the, yeah, this Alliance of American Football, you know, I actually just did a great interview with uh, the direct, one of the directors of operations um, for one of the organizations out there. And, uh, you know, I got to I got a lot of knowledge about the, uh, you know, how this is going to work and what's going to go from here. Um, look, you know, you made a point about the NFL's mistakes. Um, there, yes, their concussion protocol and issues, you can always improve safety. They're, I'm never going to say that you always can't improve safety. But, you know, going back in time. You look at any type of medical thing or, you know, society over time has always said, like, oh, that's safe and realize we've made a mistake. So, yes, the NFL's made a mistake on that. But, you know, inherently you have to understand that football is however many safety protocols you put in, unless you eliminate tackling, there's always going to be that risk of injury. I talk about it in my Absolutely. class with risk management. So that's, that's always going to be prevalent. I get the elimination of kickoffs. I get that. I get, I get a lot of that kind of stuff. So I see what they're doing. Fine. I, I'm going to support that. The the effect of a kickoff on a game, and uh, I believe that the, you know, the, I think, I don't think there's punting involved in it either. There's no punting, no. correct, yep. Okay. I get that portion of it. You know, it is the, it is the plays that those happen. Fine. Take that away. Okay. I'm, am I thrilled with it? No, I love watching 99 yard kickoff runbacks. I think sure, it's one of the yep. exciting parts of the game. But I'll, I'll, I'll concede that one. I, I can be, I can find that. You know, the second point you brought up too is they're trying to get the game time down. This is different from baseball. Baseball is losing fans because it's a very long game, lots of pitching changes, lots of timeouts. The NFL plays one game. You know, if you're a fan, you watch one game per week on Sunday during your off day. It's not like you're watching the Monday night. Case in point, Yankees, Red Sox, Monday night. I got to work the next day on Tuesday. I don't have time to be up to 11 o'clock. But on Sunday, the game's at 1 or 4 o'clock on the East Coast, earlier on the West Coast. I'm planning my day. I'm relaxing. I don't, if it, that game could go 10 hours for all I care, I'm going to sit there, have a beer, and, have, and I'm going to have a drink. It's a very different process. You're watching multiple games at the same time. So, you know, the, the concern of getting the time frame down, like, I might be more upset that I don't have as much time to hang out and watch a game. Sure. So, yeah, I didn't I, think about it like that. Yeah. I think, they, I think they missed the boat on that one. I think they missed the boat on that one because NFL is Sundays. NFL is the only league that owns a day of the week. They own sure. Sundays. You yep. know that. On any network. You know going into Sundays that's going to happen. You know, yes, there's fan base loss on Thursday night games and a little bit on Monday night games. 
But that comes into play because people have to work the next day. But you, you can't tell me that we're shortening the game and it's going to be better for the fan. I don't know. Very few Americans that love football and love sports do not love getting up on Sunday. I mean, half of America, you get up on Sunday, you go to whatever religious thing you go to, you come home, you eat a big breakfast, you watch the game and you order pizza. And millions of households do that every Sunday and love every minute of it. I grew up that way. I loved it. I still do it to this day. Uh, so, yeah. so that's, you know, that's the thing. Now, here's how, the, here's what the alliance, here's what they're doing that's a little bit different in terms of their salary structure. So it's a three-year contract that in, in order to keep costs down, every player's underneath the same contract. Um, I'll tell you right now that never works. So a quarterback and a linebacker are both getting the exact same salary, correct? Everybody's getting the same salary. It's a three-tiered salary system to pay about, I believe it's now, these numbers aren't correct, but I'm, I'm going I'm to give you a good estimation of numbers. About 50000 your first year, 80 your second year, and about 220 230 your third year. Now, they're doing that. They're paying everybody the same across the board because they're trying to keep costs down because it is expensive to run a football franchise. So they're doing that. Um, from a business standpoint, love the idea. I love the idea of what you're doing. It's going to save costs. I will tell you right now, though, that's not going to work because if I'm the leading running back on the team and I'm scoring all the points, all right, and I'm being paid the same as the guy who's sitting on the bench doing absolutely nothing, my first inclination is, you know what, I'm upset that I don't have to say that, that I'm not getting paid more. You know, it, it's just, it's one of those things I'm putting, it's a, it's an age old problem we've had in American society. I'm putting more work in my job and I'm more qualified. Therefore, I should be compensated accordingly. And you're not going to rewrite American history and American thought processes in one season by paying everybody the same amount of money at all times. That only works if the skill level, and this is a little bit from my organizational behavior theory from my classes, that only works if everybody's at the same skill level, everybody's doing the same job. You have That's not the case here. Though. Exactly. So that's their pay structure. And then the last thing is, you know, they're going to play. In, and now, now one of the pros I do like is they're going to play in markets that traditionally don't have NFL markets. So Correct. And I think there's uh, room for teams in San Antonio or in Orlando that deserve to have teams. And I also like that they are doing family affordable pricing and friends. You know, the Atlanta Falcons do a great job of family friendly concession stands. You can buy a hot dog and a beer for less than five dollars at the game. I so- love that. Uh, the the blank the um, uh, blank and I'm blanking on his name. It's, it's something with blank is, is uh, the family down there that has this concession stand structure down there is great. The a the, the this football organization the AAF is going to be operating under that philosophy of cheap tickets. The family can go out there. Great, I love it. So for those that don't know, every year I go to a different Cowboys game at a different stadium. So last year I went to Atlanta. And while, yes, I paid $2 for a hot dog, $5 for pizza, and $4 for a beer, however, I paid $350 for a nosebleed seat in that stadium. All right, so I'll ask you, and this is going to bring up my final point, and this is what I'm very frustrated about this week. So why were you willing to pay $350 for that ticket? Um, I guess it comes down to a couple things. So, number one, it lets me travel. Like, I can go to the major cities in the U.S. for a weekend. You know, I f- fly out on a Friday, fly back on a Monday. Gets me away for the weekend. Um, number two, I get to support my team. Uh, I can wear my jersey. I can be around people that enjoy the same things as me. <clears throat> and number three, I get to, um, I guess kind of goes on number one, I get to see, the, like, the local area that that stadium is in. So, I get to experience a new um, music or new food or drink, something like that. But what I have been doing lately is trying to find standing room only tickets because it's just not worth spending $350 for a nosebleed seat when I can sit at home and have the best seat in the house and it costs me nothing. You do like the experience that you're there and you, and, and have you seen – and I'll say this. You're willing to pay money to go to those games. You're not going to go to every one. I don't go to every football game. No, I just go one a year. Just one a year. I'm to do that because – 
like a good consumer, you like the product that's put on the field. You, you, you can sit there. You're like, I like going. I'm willing to pay that $350 because I like the product. I respect the product. And I'm, I'm placing a high value on that product. And this, Dan, is what I think is the biggest mistake of this league or the biggest reason why I think this league is going to fail. It's great that you can have costs attached to it. It's great that you have all these former players involved in it. it it's all great. But at the end of the day, the product you have to put on the field has to be appeasing to the American population. And I don't believe, and this is why the XFL failed, this is why those United States football leagues failed, this is why those USFL things failed, because the product is not going to be a high-level product. Why is it the case? Because you're taking players that are second-tier players. That's it. I'm glad you brought it up. They're second-tier. Like, I'm a decent sports guy, and when the only guy's name that I recognize is Nick Folk, I think that we have an issue here. I'll give you a great example. The San Diego Fleet have a running back. I was reading this article from New Jersey who played at Rutgers two years ago. Okay, no experience in the NFL. Now, is that person going to be running and showing off and hitting the hole and operating the same way as a Todd Gurley and an Ezekiel Elliott? Absolutely, Absolutely not. not. Nope. We, we, we pay the money. We go to the game. We become invested because these people on the field do things that we could only dream of doing. They operate in a world, and they, they do these athletic movements that we just sit there in awe and amazement. We watch a product that we're willing to pay a high tier for. It's like, it's, like, it's like paying a little bit more for an extra beer. We buy the product because we enjoy the experience. We enjoy the taste. We're going to watch the NFL game. We pay the package. We go there because the product put on the field. The NFL could not have gotten it more right at the AFC and the NFC championship, minus the, take the pass interference clock. Okay, okay, I know, I know. And I was waiting for you to say it, but I'm going to beat you to it. Take the pass interference clock. You had two games on the biggest stage of them all on a Sunday go into overtime with right. the vast majority of the world watching. It was exciting. You didn't know who was going to win. You had, I mean, an amazing product on the field. And you want to tell me that this football league is going to give you the same thing? It's not. I get an argument attached to this. Well, minor league baseball, it's not the same caliber. Correct. But minor league baseball operates of a fan experience. You know who you're watching. You know you're going to get players that might not make the show. You might get players that have been older. You might get rehab guys. But it's about an experience. It's There's action on the field. There's in-game stuff. I mean, there's, there's musical chairs. We do hot dog races. There's free sponsorship nights. We do backpack nights, back to school. We do an event at the State College Bikes called Cowboy Monkey Rodeo. We have <laughs> do- we've got monkeys riding dogs, herding sheep out in the outfield. It's our biggest night of the year. It has nothing to do with baseball, and we sell out every year with 5,000 fans watching that because it's an experience that you're enjoying. You're enjoying those three hours. This football, there is no experience attached. You're watching something on the field, and I just don't think it's going to deliver at the same level as the NFL, and I think it's going to be the reason why it's going to fail. Um, I get the cost. I get the big names attached to it, but there's a reason these big names didn't go to the NFL. And the other thing, too, is here's the, and here's my final point on this. Anytime in minor league baseball, anytime a player gets better, he moves up to the show. That's their goal. Right. You mean to tell me that the best players in this league are going to stay in this league? I know they say it wants to be a developmental league, but when you're constantly having your top talent leave, okay, then you're going to be replaced by worse talent, right. and you're going to have no longevity with uh, – going back to you were a Cowboys fan we were in kindergarten. Who are, the, who are the players in the Cowboys that you still idolize today? Easy. Emma Smith, Troy Aikman. Michael Irving. And great, prolific year-to-year careers at the Cowboys. You could identify with them from five all the way. And I'm still their fans. I still follow them on Instagram, Facebook, and all that. Correct, because they were loyalists to that team. Now, you're going to get a top. And they were loyal to the team. They performed great. They won games. So somebody let one of these teams, the Birmingham, you know, you know, whatever Birmingham's team, the Memphis Express, you're going to have a quarterback who's going to perform well. He's going to be loyal to that team. 
and then he's going to leave because the NFL might come a call. Right. Well, who replaces that person? Then, oh, I got to pick another quarterback next year. Is he going to be as good? I don't know. Yeah, I just bought a jersey for the Memphis Express. And this guy left. I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of turnover in football, but my TV 12 jersey that's hanging in my, uh, you know, closet over here was it was back when NFL had Reebok as a contract. I still have a Donovan McNabb jersey. I've got a I should buy a Carson Wentz one. Um, you know, I, I should get on board on that one as well. But, you know, you get the point. So, you know, that's my take on it. Um, you know, do I want it to succeed? Sure. You don't ever want a league or any sport business to fail. I just think you're 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 going up against the juggernaut. There's a, there's always those David and Goliath stories. But the reason David and Goliath stories work is because you have one shot, one opportunity to get one punch in that knocks a person down. You can hit the NFL. You're going to get multiple opportunities. And this, it might take a hit, but you got to hit, hit, hit again over a long period of time to knock that juggernaut down or even make a dent. And you're not going to get that many David stories. You know, upsets are great, but they happen once on a perfect day and a perfect time. This yeah. is too long of a process to go through. I mean, just to give my two cents here, I think that bringing the AAF to the limelight is going to bring some changes to the NFL. Um, specifically like they're bringing in another referee that's going to be up in the booth so that way you don't have the Saints mishap where um, they're constantly reviewing everything to make sure that nothing illegal is happening that was blatantly missed by the referees on the field and just to play devil's advocate like we might have a a faster game with uh, being only two hours 30 minutes and 35 second play clock we might have more action here in the time that is actually playing Uh, you know you know I'm gonna I don't I honestly don't know I'm going to speak to it from my understanding, though, is you're, you're saying more action. I think you're going to get more action. It's going to be sloppy action. The amount of – I'll give you a perfect example. The Super Bowl is a great you know, example. The Rams versus the Patriots, you have Belichick defensive-minded against Wade Phillips defensive-minded. The two of them make 14 adjustments and audibles on every single play, moving this guy here, that guy over there, moving this. They have the time to do that. There's a lot of thinking process. That clock is shorter in this league, which means the thinking process is going to be less so. If you're trying to make changes, if you're making adjustments, if you're doing that, that time's been shorter. You've got to make a decision. Oh, my God, it's three, two, one, hike the ball. Right. Now you have confusion in the field. Um, Messy plays, it's going to be sloppy, and people are going to get hurt. I think the slop is going to come from the confusion, and I think and the confusion is going to come from you have, again, going back to my point, a second-tier athlete asking them to do something at a faster pace than a top-tier athlete does, and they don't have the skill set to match that faster pace. So that's, that is my concern. Um, you know what? Hey, I- I'll tell you this, though. I'll be watching. I'll be watching the first week. Um, I might be critical of it, but I'll be watching. It's just like the XFL. Everybody in America tuned in. The yep. question will be, how long does that fan base stay on board with this? Um, yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Do you have a favorite team yet? You know what? I couldn't even name all the teams. <laughs> Me neither. I'm asking an unfair question here because I don't even know the name of the teams, but uh, I'll be watching. I, I'll, I'll, I will point this out, though. Um, where I think they could win a lot, where I think they could get a lot of – this is where if they were to go this route, could they, they could actually put a big dent in the NFL or at least create something that's entertaining for fans. There was a game between the Washington Wizards and the Milwaukee Bucks where they did a test run of in-game betting that you and I could sit at home on our phones. Now, it was all fake bets that you could win fake money with, but it was a test. Like they had prizes attached to it. Sure. If they bring up in-game betting that we can access from our houses and can bet on the game with all these different props, like this running back does this, this running back does that, sure. y- you might have a fighting chance. Because the NFL will get there eventually, but they're not there yet. If this league beats that, you might then have somebody more invested in the league if they brought in the point of sports gambling. Yeah. I saw Vegas and Atlantic City were getting on board with allowing betting for the AAF. So uh, if it takes off, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens. So there's a chance something may happen with this. I mean, you're not wrong. 
Now, of course, you know, that also brings in, you know, the other side of that, John, is, you know, is there fixing involved? Is there, you know, is there cheating? And you have to be concerned with athletes that aren't making as much money. You know, remember, I'm going to bring another classroom theory here. When people don't feel like they're truly compensated, they turn to deviant behaviors. One of them is employee theft. Like if you feel like you're not paying, you're not being paid the best of your company, you're going to start stealing staplers and notebooks and pens and pencils and stuff like that. Am I more likely then to say, you know what, like, hey, the point totals this. I'm not going to run as hard because I bet the under on this one. And you know what, I make my 50000 but I've got 10 on this game to win, you know, 8 to 1 odds or something along those lines. How's the integrity? Whereas an NFL player, you don't perform, you're fired. You know, you've got $40 million. Like, there, there's, aside from a couple of the guys taking knees on the one-yard line and then apologizing to their fantasy owners, but they do that because they, they want to win the game. and they're, they're, they're putting the game over that. You're not going to see a lot of that kind of shenanigans in the NFL. In a lesser league, you know, who knows? Uh, you know, you there's know, always concern. My last, my very last point about uh, the AF is I think that they could do one really smart thing to bring in viewership, and that is to bring in Colin Kaepernick. I think that would be the smartest move on them. You know, you know, it would it would definitely get people watching. And uh, that's, you know, that's that's certainly an option. I don't I don't know how that would work. I would I don't know how that would work. But I know people would watch. And that's all I'm saying for like viewership wise, just to see the amount of millions of people that are going to watch because this guy is the would have, should have, could have in the NFL if he were to actually play, now he'll have his chance to actually prove himself. All right, so moving on to different things. Um, you and I both grew up in Connecticut. We're both living here in Pennsylvania. I have to ask a couple questions that we should have no partiality to. So, Eagles or Pittsburgh? I'll be Philly all the way. My uh, my mom would she'd be so. I was gonna say Debbie would be mad. <laughs> she, I always go Eagles. Uh, you know I'm always I'm always gonna be on the Eagles side of that. And that comes from my mom's lineage. Um, it also comes from too. I I, I genuinely enjoy Philly sports because Philly sports fans are some of the most they, they are some of the most brutal sports fans, but they're also some of the most honest in the sense that if you're not playing well, they're gonna let you know. Yeah, you're not lying there. So me being a Cowboys fan, I went to an Eagles-Cowboys game at Eagles, and I knew how the the Eagles fans were. So I went there purposely, not wearing a Cowboys jersey, not wearing a Cowboys hat, like literally nothing. And uh, I wore a school T-shirt, and I was like, this is as close as I'm getting to wearing anything Eagles gear. So I'm there, and they're literally throwing Cowboys fans out of the stadium, get beer thrown on them because they were the distraction. Um, and while I was there, it was the game that, Tony Romo ended up getting hurt in uh, because uh, when I was there, Eagles fans were like yelling, kill Romo, kill Romo. And then he goes down their chair and then he got hurt. And I've never before seen that in a professional game ever. But you bring up this thing about honesty, and I don't think that the Eagles fans have been completely honest with themselves. And I'm going to make some broad accusations here living here in Philadelphia. But for the most part, most people are like, Wentz is the future of our, our team. We're going to stick with Romo, or stick with Wentz. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. However, thanks for your help, Foles. Catch you later. Hope we don't play you twice in the league. What's your stance on this? Okay, you, you first of all, I'll, I'll give my answer right away. You keep Wentz. And I'll tell you why in a second, but you keep once the Eagles walked into a situation that every NFL team wishes they had your starting franchise quarterback goes down and the next guy up steps in and fills those shoes and does it in a way that gets you, you know, success. Every NFL team would want that. It's not possible. It just doesn't happen. But they lucked out and luck skill, call it what you want. They were in a situation that every team wishes that would happen is that your top guy goes down. Number two comes up and it happened twice in a row. And both with success. Um, you keep Wentz. You keep Wentz. Do you worry about his injuries? Even if you worry about his injuries, 
you know, number one, you don't know if he is injury prone. He's had two. You don't know. Those could be the only two he has at the beginning. He could be fine the rest of his career. He could get hurt next week and be out of commission. That any player in the NFL is one snap away from having their career ended. Correct. So you can never really, you can never really truly say a person is either injury prone or not injury prone because anything like that can happen. You know, you don't know. You don't know. If there's a third injury, you start to see a pattern. You know, maybe that tone changes. But the first two, it was what it was. And I have to believe the second one may have occurred in his body because he was trying to rehab an ACL. I mean, you're more of the medical side than I am. He was trying to rehab a major injury and get back into action at a high caliber level at the best level with a major injury. Did he come back too soon? I don't know. But that's not the easiest thing for a man to do. So, you know, you keep him – he could get hurt. He could get hurt. You can't worry about that. Um, the thing of it is, is though, if let's say, for example, Wins or Foles gets hurt. Foles is 30. Foles gets hurt. His career is probably over. Sure. Wins is 24, I believe. He's- yeah, he's younger than us. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Wins gets hurt. You have that time. He's young. He can come back again from that. He can come back and attempt. Now, is he going to be good? We don't know. But you at least have the time to bring that person back. You have foals towards the age. So you bring it. So if, you're, if you're the injury argument's always thrown out there, it's like anybody can get hurt. Wins has not shown that he's injury prone yet. And if either quarterback were injured on any play, I'm taking the younger guy because you have more of a chance of him coming back and being successful. But think of it as this, though, is this whole Nick Foles and Carson Wins argument is completely ridiculous on one very important level. And that Nick Foles, while good, while running the Philly special, while leaving some game time driving, would never have had a conversation, would never be in the conversation if four plays didn't happen. Okay? I'll give them to you in order. Number one, all right? Number one play with Nick, when it comes to Nick Foles, okay? Julio Jones catches that ball in the first game of the uh, NFL playoffs last year. The Falcons go on. The Eagles are done. No conversation. There is no right. Nick Game Foles over. Yep. Yep. Game's over. There's no conversation. Carson Wentz comes back next year. Nick doesn't do anything else. That's a defensive play. Second one, okay? Strip sack in the Super Bowl to seal the victory for Philly. Defensive play. Foles didn't do that. Okay? I'll give you a third play on this one, too. All right? The double doink. (laughs) Yeah, Chicago should have never gotten that far. Nick, you didn't do shit there. Now, yes, he wins. He takes the game-winning drive down and scores. He looked terrible that game, too. You should have lost that game because the field goal should have gone in. And I'll give you the honorable mention in the Super Bowl, Brady's Hail Mary. That goes in the end zone. You lose that game as well. So Nick Foles' career has been extended, not because of his play, but because of the defense. The defense has extended the fact that Nick Foles has the opportunity to continue to be around. So you say, oh, Foles won it. Foles won it. Yes, he led some game-winning drives. Yes, he was part of success. You know what? He's an NFL quarterback. You're supposed to win. You did what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to come in and play well. But you wouldn't even have had a conversation. Julio Jones catches that ball. Nothing else happens. Okay? That field goal goes in. You say, hey, Foles, thank you for being around. See you next, you know, see you, you know, it's, it's, you're asking, you're asking me a comparison between the two. And I'm telling you that, like, you have a guy who got to play because everybody else around him did stuff that he didn't even have to do. So, I don't know. I can't. I can't sell it on that one. And at the end of the day, you know, if you're, you're never going to be, and here, and here's the thing too, with this whole situation, it doesn't really, you're, if, if they trade Foles and Wins does bad, you're going to be questioned. You're going to say you made the wrong choice. If you sign Foles and Wins goes elsewhere, you're going to be told you should have kept Wins. You got, you signed the wrong. So either choice. way you lose. You have to make a decision 
and you have to stand by that decision, you ho- and you have to hope that your decision works out. That's any general manager. So this isn't. This shouldn't be controversial. It shouldn't be anything. It's any decision whatsoever that's in football. But if you're gonna make, you're gonna ask me which one you got to go to. You go to wins because you brought him in to be the franchise leader. When he's been healthy, he's had success. All right, he's younger, so if there is an injury, you have the time to bring him back. And at the end of the day, can you really count Nick Foles' success on him? Sure. Or can you count it on the defense and the luck of the draw of the NFL, the ball bouncing the right way, slipping through the fingertips, or falling out of the hands of what's arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time? If it's me, the man had a lot of help to get that credit. My only concern is he gets traded and goes to the Giants, and we actually have an NFC. Or, or he goes to the Redskins, and now we actually have a real NFC East here. Oh, I called, I called, I called Washington winning twelve games last year before Alex Smith went down. I, I said, I said ten and six at worst. I, I had him winning twelve games and going twelve and four, and they were on pace until Alex Smith went down and all their. And, and, and of course, they had multiple injuries on top of that, right? Yeah, but, but they were they were on pace to hit that. I called it last year. Uh, you know what? Hey, okay. Foles goes to the Giants. He's got Saquon Barkley, Odell Beckham Jr. Is he going to be good? Absolutely. But here's the thing. You're in the NFL. It doesn't matter who's on the other side of the field. You have to beat them. And no matter who it comes down to, so, okay, Foles doesn't go to the Giants. Who's to say the Giants don't draft a great quarterback this year, next year in the NFL draft? He becomes a rookie sensation and beats the Eagles no matter who that's there. Sure. You, you, You have to win that game. I don't care if it's the worst quarterback on that side or the best. You have to game plan. So you shouldn't say, oh, you know, if you send him to the Giants, you know, he could be competition. Eli Manning won two Super Bowls. Last time I checked, the Eagles only have one. I mean, you know, anybody's talented on the other side of the ball. So, you, you know, where should you send him? Should you send him to Jacksonville? Uh, you know, should you send him to one of those, you know, the, the, the room? I mean, hell, L.A. looks like they need some help, huh? <laughs> oh, God, L.A. And LA needs to – oh, I, I should uh, – don't get me started in L.A. in football. But, yeah, you know, that's – so that's – I mean, that's my take on it. Um, you, you, you pick wins. But it's a shitty situation for everybody across the board. And as a GM, you stand by it. And you know what? As a GM, you stand by it. You say, this is the decision I made, and I'm standing by this decision. No matter what, not everybody's going to be happy. But some, but you know what? When you're in a high-level position of power, in this particular case, when you're in a high-level position of power, you have to make that decision. You have to stand by that decision. And, you know, Pally Roseman's going to have to stand by that decision that he makes. And let's hope it works out for the best for Philly fans. I- I'm hoping it works out. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, you know, you move on, you adjust from there, you react to that situation. So last Pennsylvania question as it relates to us, it's a very important one. Wawa or Sheets? Sheets, 100%. Met Steven Sheet, great individual. Um, it's got a great product. I, I, uh, sheets, 100%. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Sheets. So for those who don't know, who don't have Sheets or Wawa, I'm looking at you, Connecticut. Um, they're both convenience stores that are to the next level. They make sandwiches. They have beer. They have gas. And everything is just to the next level class. You know, here's your difference. Sheets is designed to be, and, and in some cases, and anybody who's in Central PA that's list, that listens to this will understand what I'm talking about. Sheets is designed to be like the center of your town. Everybody goes to Sheets. They, 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 they might eat breakfast there. They, they, they meet people there. They see people. It's supposed to be like the town hall. A Wawa is designed to have a two-minute experience at a high level. You go in, you get your food, you pop out. But it's quick, convenient, fast, whereas Sheets is more of this like town hall type setting. Neither one is wrong. Both are different business models and different business plans. You will gravitate to the one you like better. Do you like the quick two-minute experience at good quality? Do you like the family-friendly like town hall type atmosphere at a Sheets? 
it is it is your particular choice. I personally prefer the sheets atmosphere. I like it a little bit better than the wild atmosphere. Yeah, I've, I've, like I said, I've never been to sheets. I want to get out to outside of the Philadelphia area because that's all we have here is the Wawa. <laughs> um, that's what they call it here, the Wawa. It's not Wawa. It's the Wawa. That, um, yeah, I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's also Philadelphia, and I'm not a Philadelphia fan, and I live here, so about anything about this city, I hate everything about this city. There's nothing here oh, I like. It's, it is the city of brotherly love. Come on, man. You can't you can't you can't badmouth it that much. I love oh, it. Oh man. It's awesome. Oh, it's it's trash. This whole city's trash, and that's that's a whole other podcast on itself. So <laughs> I'll I'll take the pro. I'll defend Philly. I'll defend Philly if I need to. Oh man, I mean that might be just my my Dallas coming through on that. That might be what what that is, but we'll leave it at I that. I mean, you, I'll tell you this though: you have you pick a sports. You're a, you're a, you're a fan of a sports team, and possibly the world. The only other comparison I can put this towards is if you're a Yankee fan living in Boston. And, oh yeah. You know, that, I mean, this is I mean, this is the kind of level. The only other I actually and I actually think being a Dallas fan in Philly is probably more challenging than being a Yankee fan living in Boston. Um, you know, that, that is, that, it, it, there's bad blood there. Thank you so much for being here, Matt. It was a pleasure to do this. Pleasure, Dan. Um, we'll have to do this again, talk about other topics. Um, but like I said, I just wanted to say thank you for being the number one person to come on here and be like, I want to do this shit. So you I know, appreciate I, I, that. Hey, you, you asked me to do things I love. Talk, number one, talk. Number two, talk about sports. And, uh, hey, catch up with a, with a good friend of mine. I will, do you remember? I, and I'll, I'll throw this out real quick. I was wondering if you're going to mention this or not. Do you remember we used to have our fake band in kindergarten? Um, and I, was, so, I thought about that when I gave your introduction because I was like, we had a band on the bus. We very much did. Yes, I don't remember did. the name of that band, but I'm I, I was I was waiting for you to bring up this that I was trying to get married in in kindergarten. Do you yes, remember who? Yes, yes. It was Sage was the first. It was, girl. It was and Sage Harden. And, and Katrina was the second girl. I yep. believe, right? Trying to yep. get married with graham cracker wedding cookies. Good times, yep. man. Good times. That was that was the old bus number seven or eleven. Seven. We were eleven. Bus eleven. Bus yep. eleven. Yep. yep. So that's that's how that's how long ago our friendship lasts. So and it was you know it's a good time and I'm happy to help you out with this and uh, you know I wish you the best of success and luck with this uh, with this podcast and uh, you know if uh, if you ever need me back on a guest maybe to defend the city of Philly uh, I'm happy to uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy to lace up my Rocky box and gloves and uh, go run the uh, steps of the art museum. For Rocky you. isn't even real. <laughs> <laughs> hey hey man don't be telling the people of Philly that. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody, so uh, tune in next week for our next episode, and uh, until then, we'll catch you later.